The Daily Rios Digest, Volume 2, Saturday, June 17, 2023. Good. Status and situation, Rios. Hey everybody, this is your host Peter with the 50th Digest of this second volume covering Monday, June 12th through Friday, June 16th, 2023. Starting off this week with an unexpectedly sad note for this digest, actor Treat Williams died today, June 12th, from a motorcycle accident. He was 71. It comes as a shock mostly because I follow Treat Williams on Twitter and he was posting just today about mowing his lawn in Vermont, the, sm- the uh, scent of it, and then come back to Twitter later that night and find out that he was in this accident. So Treat Williams, the actor, you may know from probably a lot more movies than I've, I've actually seen him in, but I de- definitely know him from 1941, the late shift TV movie where he played Mike Ovitz, The Phantom, uh, and then of course the long running, or, or he was involved in Everwood, um, which I honestly did not watch, but found out that that was a show created by Greg Berlanti, which is interesting. So I'm not saying that I'm like a huge fan of all of his work, but he is someone that I did study quite a lot for his role of Berger in the Milos Forman-directed movie version of Hair, which is probably where I first came across um, Treat Williams. Uh, So I used to do Musical Monday in the early days of the Daily Rios, and, uh, you know, had I continued with that, or, you know, maybe I will, who knows, um, I would have eventually landed on uh, the musical Hair, which I worked on in 1998 as choreographer, but also as the character of Berger. So at the time, the only thing I knew about Hair in 1998 was from the movie and from the original Broadway soundtrack. Uh, For those of you who don't know what Hair, Hair is, Hair is the American tribal love rock musical. It's a rock musical by Jerome Ragney, James Rado, Galt McDermott, It was on Off-Broadway in 1967, went to Broadway in 1968, and it was one of those musicals that um, defined what a rock musical was in the early days. Um, It had, you know, it was everything about the hippie counterculture, the sexual revolution, it dealt with drugs, it dealt with the Vietnam War, it dealt with... uh, the American flag, and probably the thing it's most known for is at the end of Act One, there is a nude scene. Um, the musical story, or the story in the musical, is about a tribe, a group of, of hippies, for lack of a better word, uh, who are politically active, who are living in New York City. They are uh, all against the Vietnam War draft. And there's the character of Claude, his friend Berger. They have another friend named Sheila, Hud, Wolf, um, Jeannie. And the story in the musical is, I mean, there is a story, but it's not, it's not linear. Uh, it's just their reaction to, you know, things that were going on at that time. And then at the end, it ends with uh, Claude just trying to decide whether he's going to 
go to the draft, serve in Vietnam or not. The movie version is similar but different. It's a little more linear. Uh, Claude is not a member of the tribe right away. He's a Midwesterner that gets drafted, goes to New York, wants to spend a day in New York before he gets drafted, meets the tribe, and then gets caught up in everything that they're, you know, all of the shenanigans that they deal with. Um, He encounters drugs for the first time. uh, And then, and also Sheila. Sheila. Sheila is also not a member of the tribe right away. And then at the end... Claude goes into the military and they cook up this scheme where Berger is going to take his place so that Claude can go say goodbye to his friends. And it winds up that Berger goes to Vietnam in his place and dies. So the story is, um, uh, they gave it a little bit more of a story without trying to pull, pull it too much away from the original version. The movie starred John Savage, Treat Williams, Beverly D'Angelo, Annie Golden, Dorsey Wright, um and and other people it was choreographed by twyla tharp that's the reason why i was watching it so much when i was choreographing hair in 1998 because the choreography is first of all the movie's great the choreography in the movie is fantastic and um if you know the musical it is huge in terms of the music in terms of the dance uh, responsibilities etc uh, when we did this, it was it wound up being the last community theater show that I had done. Uh, it was a few years after college. Um, I made the decision that, you know, yep, this was going to be the last quote-unquote free thing that I was going to do. We did it outside. We had people coming from all over to come see the show um, because apparently it's one of those shows that it has a, a cult following. And initially, I wanted the role of Claude, but I wound up playing Berger, just as Treat Williams does in the movie, and ultimately it was the better fit, um, considering my abilities at the time. But what I managed to do was, uh, when we were doing casting, I said, sure, okay, I'll do Berger, but I really want the one song in the musical uh, called I Got Life. In the musical, it's sung by Claude. In the movie, it's sung by Berger. And it's one of those scenes that I remember as a kid watching with my family. We really liked that moment in the movie. And a lot of it was because of Burger. A lot of it is because of the situation where the tribe invades this like socialite party and they're all seated down at a dinner table and he starts singing. Well, he gets confronted and asked to leave And he's like, I just want to be here, man. I want to be here with everybody. Claude is in love with Sheila. Can we please just stay? He starts to sing the song and starts dancing on this long dinner table. And the scene is really great. And it was something that impacted me as a kid. It's a memory I have um, of watching it with some of my family members. I mean, they obviously... You know, we're, we're Puerto Rican. We have music in our culture. Uh, and then once I started to get into musicals at a young age, obviously everybody else, you know, if there was anything on on TV that reflected that, we were we were watching it. So I really wanted that song and wound up doing it in the stage version that we did. And then Claude uh, would join in with me at the end. It was a really great production. Um, we had a live, we had a local uh, band, like a band that would play out at clubs. They were our quote unquote orchestra. Um, 
And like I said, I just absorbed that musical and it was so great to, to be in it um, because I had such a, you know, a, a small experience with it as a kid and with that actor. He is so good. Treat Williams is so good as Berger in the musical, uh, in the movie version. He's soft when he needs to be soft. He's wild when he needs to be wild. He's primal. Um, he has interesting scenes where because of what they are, you know, quote unquote hippies and peace, love and all of that, whenever he's in a confrontation, he never gets to the point where, where he's confrontational. If anything, he's trying to de-escalate everything, whether it's with someone who wants to kick him out of a party or the authorities or even members of his own tribe. He, he talks, but he doesn't confront and that was such an interesting part of that character to watch. And he gets it. And then when you start to see him in other productions and other movies, you realize that's that's what Treat was. That's what Treat Williams was in many ways. So um, it was a great summer. It was great to be involved with that musical. It's the reason why I, again, I'm not like a huge fan of Treat Williams, but someone that has informed my life in theater through this musical. And again, if you know this musical, there are over 30 different songs. It's one of those shows that you can have a choreographer who could then direct the musical, but a director who doesn't understand choreography couldn't do it alone because you have to make every song different. You have to have ideas, you have to have themes, it has to be interesting. And that was um, something I really learned that summer. And I walked away really happy that that was the show that I was like, okay, I'm ready for other things. And eventually that's what happened. I would go on to be professional, eventually join the union, and the rest is history. By the way, fun fact, Kevin from CGS was also in that production of Hair. We had met each other, I'm assuming, uh, sometime earlier than 1998, and you know when we used to hang out at Golden Eagle. And I must have mentioned that. He tried out. He was in the show. This was obviously years before CGS existed, but uh, it was pretty great to have him in that show. So we'll close out this segment just honoring the inspiration that Treat Williams gave to me and uh, as a way to honor Treat Williams himself. Now listen, Claude here is in love, and the girl he's in love with is sitting right here in this room. He just, he just wants to sit here, and he just wants to look at her for about five minutes. I mean, because he wants to just look at her and just maybe, like, have this picture in his head when he's off there fighting in the jungles. So is that so much to ask? I mean, hey, hey, this is for you, man. Now, wait a minute. This is what you want. So, Sheila, is that okay with you? Is it okay if Claude just sits here and looks at you for a few minutes before we go. You've got a hell of a nerve, young man. I got life, mother. I got life, sister. I got freedom, brother. And I got good times, man. I got crazy ways, daughter. I got million dollar charm, cousin. 
I got headaches and toothaches and bad times do like you. I got my hair, I got my head, I got my brains, I got my ears, I got my eyes, I got my nose, I got my mouth, I got my teeth, I got my tongue, I got my chin, I got my neck, I got my tits, I got my heart, I got my soul, I got my back, I got my ass, I got my arms, I got my hands, I got my fingers, got my legs, I got my feet, I got my toes, I got my liver, got my blood, I got life, I got life. Sister, I got three feet of rubber. I got good times, good times, man. I got crazy ways, daughter. I got million dollar child cousin. I got headaches and two things. Oh my God! Oh! I got my feet, I got my toes, I got my liver, got my blood, got my guts, got my muscles, I got life, 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 Timeline Trivia Tuesday for June, Part 1, taking a look at some comic history and trivia for this month of June, 2023. We're going to go back just 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and 30 years ago for this segment. So let's start 10 years ago, June of 2013. IDW put out X-Files Season 10, Number 1 which would run for 25 issues through 2015. The X-Files TV show originally ran for nine seasons between 1993 and 2002. Obviously, there were other X-Files comics prior to this volume. This volume was written by Joe Harris with art by Michael Walsh, Elena Casagrande, Matthew Dow Smith, Tom Mandrake even did a few issues. It apparently takes place after the events of the X-Files I Want to Believe movie. The first story arc focused on seeking to bring the mythology of the alien conspiracy back up to date in a more paranoid, post-terror, post-WikiLeaks society. Series creator Chris Carter was executive producer for the series and would provide feedback to the creative team regarding scripts and outlines to keep the new stories in line with existing and ongoing canon. This would eventually lead to X-Files Year Zero, X-Files Season 11, which ran from 2015 through 2016 in comic book form, and then eventually the TV show Return with a 10th and 11th season between 2016 and 2018. That is a series on, well, the TV show anyway, that I started to watch. I think I got through most of the first season, perhaps all of it, and then got distracted, uh, you know, like I usually do somewhere along the way. Uh, from DC, we are near the end of the second year of the New 52 initiative. 
with uh, June 2013 giving us Larfleys, one of 12 by Giffen, DiMatteis, and Scott Collins on art. We also got Superman Unchained, one of nine by Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, and company celebrating Superman's 75th, 75th anniversary, also in time for the release of Man of Steel, which we'll talk about in a later segment. Batman Superman number one began 10 years ago. Greg Pak, Jay Lee, Ben Oliver and company ran for 32 issues ending in time for DC Rebirth. Apparently there is a issue 33, 34, and annual three, and they were published in volume six called Universe's Finest in 2017. I didn't realize that there were some uh, unpublished issues um, once that series had ended. And then also from Vertigo 10 years ago, Astro City number one returns. This would run for 52 issues. Kurt Busick, uh, Brent Anderson, Alex Ross on covers. Probably the third volume, I guess you could say. It followed a bunch of miniseries after the first couple volumes. I've been meaning to do a giant Astro City read for a long time. Over at Image Comics, Lazarus number one was was released 10 years ago, June of 2013. Greg Rucka, Michael Lark and company. It would run 28 issues through 2018, and then apparent and then there would be other volumes afterwards, including some source books. The story, uh, here's the story from the opening um, page of the very first issue. The world now lies divided, not amongst political or geographic boundaries, but among financial ones. Wealth is power, and that power rests with only a handful of families. The few who provide a service for their ruling family are cared for. All others are waste. In each family, there is one person given the best they can offer, training, technology, assets, every scientific advantage. This person is named their family sword and shield, their protector, their Lazarus. This is a really great series. Eric and I did a discussion on it uh, on the Longbox Review podcast, his, his podcast. It's episode 62 from 2014. I didn't realize it, it, it's been that long. Um, it, my biggest takeaway reading the series was just the amazing sense of world building. Apparently, we only covered the first five issues. So, Eric, we probably need to get back to some Lazarus talk. Your question comes from Lazarus for 10 years ago, June of 2013. The main focus of the book is about the Lazarus from the family known as Carlisle. Your question, what is her name? Let's go 20 years ago, June of 2003, from Marvel Comics from their Max line, Born One of Four by Garth Ennis, Derek Robertson, taking a look at uh, Frank Castle in Vietnam, and then Kingpin by Bruce Jones and Sean Phillips on art, including Klaus Janssen on inks. Uh, keeping in line, both of these, keeping in line with other things that Marvel was doing and perhaps DC, uh, where they were trying to do these grounded, introspective, high quality story and art comics, uh, taking a look at villains or anti-heroes, uh, possibly because of Origin, which began in 2001, 
and eventually gave us, like I said, Origin and Born and Kingpin and, uh, you know, all the way up to Lex Luthor, Man of Steel at DC in 2005. So this was uh, one of those trends, like, let's get some painted art. Let's get some art that uh, would probably be seen in Vertigo, not in uh, a mainstream Marvel or DC book. Also from Marvel, 20 years ago, June 2003, because of the Ang Lee Hulk movie, which was released in June of 2003, Hulk was getting a lot of love in the comics. Uh, Incredible Hulk 55 was sold for only 25 cents, and that was the first part of the Hide in Plain Sight storyline. This was in the middle of the Bruce Jones run, which I've always meant to read. Um, we had a miniseries called Hulk Night America for six issues by Robin Laws and Brian Ashmore. And then the comic book movie ad adaptation by Bruce Jones and Mark Bagley, which actually was released in May. From DC Comics, 20 years ago, June of 2003, were you there when Gail Simone and Ed Bennis took over Birds of Prey with issue number 56? She would be on the book, Gail would be on the book up to issue 108. The series would finish up at 127. Eventually it was handed off to Tony Bedard. Um, she, and then there were other Birds of Prey series and volumes after that, of course, including one with Simone again. Um, we'll have more info on Birds of Prey on this week's Friday segment. Um, but I remember loving this series. It introduced me to Gail Simone. It's certainly the series that probably put her in the spotlight and it was just, it's, it's good. It's, it's just a really good series even with the Ed Benes cheesecake art, it managed to work. And, you know, I've been saying for quite a while, this um, this year, 2003, even maybe going back to 2000, um, this early 2000s DC stuff was just sweet. It was like, here we go. We are coming up on just an amazing time for DC Comics. Also, 20 years ago, we got Matt Wagner's Trinity, one of three, Lobo Unbound, one of six, by Keith Giffen and Alex Horley, Empire Returned from Mark Wade and Barry Kitson, with issue zero, and that would run for six issues. I'm assuming that finally completed that stories. And also, Outsiders number one, Judd Winnick, Tom Rainey, this would run for 50 issues, and it would run alongside its sister title of Teen Titans by Jeff Johns and Mike McCone. Again, two more series that helped to shape what DC was becoming at this time. So your question comes from Outsiders from uh, June of 2003. Who are the seven characters on the cover to issue number one? I'll give you one of them. One of them is Nightwing. Who are the other six? And then finally, 30 years ago, June of 1993, we got New Titans 100, The Wedding, quote-unquote, of Dick and Corey by Marv Wolfman, Tom Grummet. Uh, new artist Bill Jaska would come onto the scene. It had that prism cover. Um, yeah, not, not a high point <laughs> in New Titans history. From Vertigo, we got Jonah Hex Two-Gun Mojo, number one of five, by Joe Lansdale, Tim Truman, and Sam Glansman on inks. And also Metamorpho, one of four, by Mark Wade, which I've never read. I probably should read that. 
Over at Marvel, we got Night Thrasher number one, which would run for 21 issues. The first issue was by Fabian Nicieza and Javier uh, Javier Salteras. Later writers included Dan Slott and Kurt Busiek. Hmm, interesting. Uh, 30 years ago, gave us Uncanny X-Men 303. This is the issue where Ilyana Rasputin dies of the legacy virus. It was not branded as part of the Fatal Attractions event that was going on at this time, but it certainly was the cause of some major, major happenings within the X-Men universe that I'm, I guess we're going to talk about next month. Marvel also gave us two miniseries in the month of June of 1993 that I really liked. Sabretooth, a four-issue miniseries by Larry Hama and amazing art by Mark Texiera. And then Deadpool finally gets his own series or miniseries for four issues. This was entitled The Circle Chase, again, Fabian Nicieza, with amazing art by Joe Mad. And then there would be a second miniseries written in 1994, by Mark Wade, penciled by Ian Churchill. 30 years ago gave us Daredevil 319, the prologue to the storyline known as Fall from Grace, the very controversial storyline. This would run up to issue 325 by Dan G. Chichester, Scott McDaniel. I'm fairly certain this is the first time I came across McDaniel's artwork. I jumped onto this with this issue, because I don't know if I read something about it in a magazine or I saw the cover. Maybe I flipped through it. Something about it made me want to pick up this storyline. We had um, the villains known as the Snake Root. Silver Sable was in this. Venom, Nick Fury, Morbius. It was the reintroduction of Elektra into Daredevil's life. And of course, the big controversy. This is where Daredevil would get his armor his daredevil armor. I mean, it's funny to think back then how much of a stir that caused, considering these days um, the companies make such a big deal about new costumes. And I think Daredevil right now is, you know, about ready to get another costume. One of the chapters in this storyline had a glow in a dark cover. There was a Daredevil doppelganger. There was an uh, an Electra doppelganger as well. It's a I don't know. I liked it at the time. I haven't read it since. Might be interesting to go back to see what that storyline is like. From Image Comics, 30 years ago, Savage Dragon number one. This is the start of the series after Eric Larson's first miniseries. Uh, and this would run up to, well, issue 266 is the next issue due to be released. And then we also got 30 years ago, the ever-popular Deathmate series begins with Deathmate Prologue, the Image and Valiant crossover. This would be followed up by Yellow, Blue, Epilogue, and Red. This first issue was by Bob Layton, Barry uh, Windsor-Smith, and Jim Lee on inks. I have all of these issues. I picked them up in back issue bins. I didn't pick them up at the time. But I saw them once, and they were all there. And I was like, oh, okay, sure, it's cheap. I'll pick it up. Never read it. Maybe I will someday. And then 30 years ago, June of 1993, uh, we would, because of, uh, you know, because of things like Valiant Universe, uh, maybe because of Milestone, we, and certainly because of Image, we have a new universe borning, and that universe was entitled Ultraverse. And this was a shared universe of superpowered beings commonly referred to as Ultras. 
So all the first issues 30 years ago, June of 1993, included Hardcase, Prime, and Strangers. So Prime would run for 26 issues, created by Bob Jacob, Gerard Jones, Len Straczewski, and Norm Brayfogel on art, and Brett Blevins. The character is a 13-year-old boy with the power to transform into the physical form of a super-powered adult, but with his adolescent mind unchanged. And then we had Hard Case by James Hudnall, Jim Callahan, Dave Gibbons. Uh, he, this is a character who turns his ultra-powers into a film career, except his teammates are dead, his girlfriend is in a coma, and the world's first group of costume ultra-humans have been destroyed forever, and it's all his fault. And then we would have Strangers, which also ran for 24 issues. Hardcase and Prime ran for 26. Strangers was created and written by Steve Englehart, originally drawn by Rick Hoberg. 59 strangers are transformed by a blast of energy into something more than human. Some become heroes, some villains. Six of them join forces with a sorceress from a lost city to find out why. And in this same accident, we would get Nightman... And uh, these, this was the beginning of Malibu's Ultraverse. I came into Ultraverse because of the breakthrough event, because Perez would be on artwork, and then eventually he would do artwork for, for Ultra Force. So I came in later. Once like Marvel started to get their hands into it, that's when I kind of jumped in. So your question from 30 years ago comes from Ultraverse. What was the name of the 13-year-old kid who controlled Prime? Okay, let's look at your answers. From 10 years ago, from Lazarus, the Lazarus of the Carlisle family is known as Forever. The seven characters on the cover of Outsiders include Nightwing, uh, that's the one I gave you, Arsenal, Grace Choi, she first appeared in that series, Thunder, she first appeared in that series, Jade, Indigo, and Shift, the metamorpho character known as Shift. And then from 30 years ago, what was the name of the 13-year-old kid who controlled Prime? His name was Kevin Green. All right, we'll come back to Timeline Trivia Tuesday, uh, part two for June in another Digest. New Comics Wednesday, quick recommendations for the week of June 14th, starting with Image Comics, Void Rivals number 1, the book that everyone is talking about, by Robert Kirkman, Matthias Lopez, Lorenzo Di Felicia, $3.99. We'll be covering more of Void Rivals in the Friday news segment, uh, really uh, because of the um, reveal in the issue and what it means for the larger skybound um, imprint for Image Comics and for certain properties that are coming to Image Comics. So take a look out for that issue. Also, Battle Chasers returns after 22 years with issue number 10 by Joe Mad and Ludo Lullaby. The first four issues were put out by Wildstorm in 1998 and then issues 5 through 8 
were put out when DC acquired Wildstorm from 1999 through 2001. There was an issue number 9 in 2001, and now here we are with issue number 10. From Vertical, which I don't talk about often, Prophecy Complete Edition by Tetsuya Tetsui. And this is $29.95. This story was originally serialized in Jump X from 2011 to 2013. And it has spawned some sequels and a live-action film, a five-episode television drama in 2015, a newspaper-masked vigilante who broadcasts his acts of vengeance before committing them, a newly formed police division tackling the new frontier of internet-based crime. As the sun rises on the era of information, can a group of people who found themselves at the bottom of the food chain rattle society through the web and avenge a fallen friend? This looked pretty cool in the little press release I got, so I thought I would mention that. From Oni Press, they're doing an uh, anthology series, a three-issue anthology series entitled Xeno, X-I-N-O. So the first issue is out this week for $5.99. Oversized 40 pages of subversive surrealist science fiction to cure your awful awareness of it all. And you have people such as uh, Melissa Flores, Daniel Irizarry, and Phil Hester, and many more. From DC Comics, uh, look out for the Superman Camelot Falls Deluxe Edition hardcover by Kirk Busick, Carlos Pacheco, Jesus Marino, and company. This collects Superman 654 through 658, 662 through 664, 667, and Superman Annual 13, with a brand new introduction from Kurt Busick. I have to imagine this will reflect the passing of Carlos Pacheco last year. This is $39.99. I really enjoyed this storyline, and it features a return appearance of Ariane the Immortal, or Ariane the Lord of Atlantis. So that's a collection uh, well worth your time. There you go, the recommendations for the week of June 14th. My name is Rob Stewart, and I create the science fiction adventure series, Afterburner, Tales of the Cool and the Wicked. Afterburner follows the multiverse hopping adventures of Chief of Security Renfield Briggs. Ren leads the crew of a hot rod space cruiser called the Hydromatic Ace. The team is in search of exotic technology to reverse engineer and sell to the highest bidder. At the Logistics Council is Arizona Dos Santos. Arizona is a career criminal who has decided to make a change. In the pilot's chair, Professor Henrik Sloans. Henrik is the team inventor and rogue scientist. Muscle for the team is reluctantly provided by India Dupree and her powerful polysonic belt. Afterburner is an episodic anthology. You can pick up any edition and get a great and entertaining story. Whether it is the threat of the two hitmen, Halfton and Coyote Slim, the perils of the goddess Persephone, or an introduction to the peace-loving space mermaids, the Chi Kuri.
Afterburner is presented in a deluxe magazine format, and the book is available at your local comic shop, at the AfterburnerComics.com website, and of course, downloads are available at Amazon. I'm Rob Stewart, and I specialize in tales of the cool and the wicked. Today in history, well, actually yesterday in history, but Wednesday belongs to New Comic Book Wednesday, so uh, so we're doing a Today in History on Thursday. Today in history, yesterday in history, June 14th, 2013, 10 years ago, gave us this. He will give the people an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall. But in time, they will join you in the sun. In time, you will help them accomplish wonders. That's right, 10 years, 10 years of the Man of Steel, 10 years of the DC Extended Universe, a name I never really liked, 10 years of the quote-unquote Snyderverse, 10 years of people gnashing their teeth over a movie. And it's quite interesting that this weekend is the Flash movie, which brings that chapter to a close. And we will be moving on to a new chapter, whatever that may be. Zod help us all. So 10 years, 10 years of Man of Steel. Stan didn't have enough time to script all of these things in advance. Otherwise, he would have. So what he did was he would verbally or quickly dash out a half a page plot and send it to the artist. Mostly it was verbal, I think, for, just for time's sake. And, uh, and the artist then would decide what to make a splash scene and how to introduce the characters and how to unfold the story, which was at first terrified me. But almost immediately, not a, maybe in a month or two, I realized, holy mackerel, this is a much better way to do it. Comics succeeded despite doing it the wrong way. It should have always been done for, uh, visually. Once we made it a visual medium, two things happened. Every artist had his own approach to storytelling. So you had more variety instead of having a writer's personal approach. Secondly, Stan Lee discovered that after he had the silent drawings, he could now add balloons where he didn't expect to be able to add them. Sound effects could come anywhere he wanted. So he gained freedom. We gained freedom, albeit we gained a lot of time consuming responsibility but it also was much more gratifying and we became, we were able to put our stamp on the thing and it was wonderful. If anything made comics boom, I think it was that, that accident of expediency. Rounding out this digest with some comic book news, 
for this week and some news that might have dropped last week as well. Uh, we have to start with probably the biggest one, uh, rest in peace, John Romita, who passed on June 12th at the age of 93. We were informed of this by his son, John Romita Jr., on Twitter. Certainly a, a legend in comics, one of the last living legends. Um, I am not super, super familiar with his work, other than the stuff that I've read. I know that sounds weird to say. But the comics that I was reading... Uh, in the early 80s that, 80s that might have featured his artwork probably were reprints of the stuff he was doing in Spider-Man. I would have to go through and see if there were current comics in the 80s that he was creating that I was reading outside of covers and things like that. I am not schooled on Ramita outside of the obvious stuff, the characters that he helped to co-create, the very important covers that have become classic covers over the years. Certainly someone that many people were influenced by, and certainly his son. You know, I, I obviously know his son more than I do, his son's work, I should say, more than I do uh, of the man himself. So um, there have been a lot of heartfelt um, uh, condolences and memories on Twitter and elsewhere. Uh, you know, just truly a great, one of the last greats in comic books. A while ago, I talked about inker Mark Probst, who had started a GoFundMe so that they could update their uh, work situation, um, take care of some, some debt, um, because they wanted to be competitive with other uh, creators at the time, and apparently... Uh, they raised over $3,000, which is what he needed to pay off his apartment debt, to buy some equipment. He has a few small assignments already, and he is doing work. And he wanted to send a thank you out to everybody. This was just posted uh, on his uh, GoFundMe website. You can also support or see his work at brilliantcomics.bigcartel.com. Via Twitter, Michael Cronenberg shared the information that Barry Windsor Smith suffered uh, an ischemic stroke five days before his 73rd birthday on May 20th, 2023. He spent eight days in the ICU and has since been released to his New York home where he is recovering. So good thoughts uh, and good energy to Barry Windsor Smith. In comic book news, J. Michael Straczynski is returning to Marvel for Captain America for a run on Captain America with artist Jesus Saiz. This is relaunching with an issue one in September. A sinister foe wants to plunge the world into darkness no matter the cost. Steve gets thrust into a shadowy plot to prevent Captain America from changing the world of superheroes forever, as he did bursting onto the scene in the golden age of heroes. Straczynski says, One thing about Steve Rogers that's never really been addressed is the period between when his parents died and when he became Captain America. So we will counterpoint a present tense story in which Captain America faces off against a new villain of supernatural origin with a story about his younger self with both stories tightly interwoven. Because there's one other key aspect to that period that we will be addressing 
The years young Steve was on his own were the same years during which the American, American Bund, for all intents and purposes the Nazi Party in America, was growing very powerful in real-world New York. The story will be transformational, putting a young Steve Rogers on the path to being the hero he eventually becomes. Certainly sounds like a comic uh, reflecting current times. We are getting a new Birds of Prey title, as I mentioned uh, in the Timeline Tuesday segment. This is by Kelly Thompson, making her DC series writing debut with artist Leonardo Romero and Jordi Belair color art and Clayton Cowles on letters. She was teasing the lineup one character at a time. We got Black Canary, of course, Cassandra Kane, Batgirl, Big Barda, Zealot, which was a surprise, and to no surprise, Harley Quinn. Obviously, they're trying to reflect a little bit of the Birds of Prey uh, movie because they are including uh, Cassandra Kane and Harley Quinn. That is going to be released in September. As I think we all knew, even though Jon Stewart has a backup tale in the current Green Lantern series, he's getting his own series, Green Lantern War Journal to be written by Philip Kennedy Johnson and artist Montos, who was the artist on that Humanoids book called Entropy by Christopher Priest, which only had one issue released. But when I was reading it, I was like, oh, this character feels like a Green Lantern character. So here he is now drawing a Green Lantern book. This is going to debut also in September, and it will be um, taking place after the backup tale uh, let's see here. John Stewart's time as a Green Lantern has come to an end, or so he thinks. A family tragedy calls him back home, and as John begins to reclaim the brilliant career he once left behind, he tries to embrace a peaceful post-superhero life. But when a terrifying and contagious force with a mysterious connection to Oa appears on Earth, the last Green Lantern of another universe comes seeking the only warrior to face this threat and win the immortal guardian and builder, John Stewart himself. Can this brilliant but brash young lantern help John discover the qualities that made him one of the greatest lanterns of the entire multiverse? Uh, this is obviously part of the Dawn of DC branding, and uh, we shall see how that goes. I don't know how much more they have. Um, September is a busy month. We're getting Flash, Wonder Woman, Birds of Prey, Green Lantern, John Stewart... Um, I'm not certain I know what else DC has in store. Are there other titles, other miniseries, maybe some miniseries becoming ongoing series? So it'll be interesting. Interesting to see what the next stage of um, Dawn of DC is as it rounds out its first year. And then we talked about Void Rivals from Image Comics. Uh, for New Comics Wednesday. If you hadn't heard the news, this might be a little bit of a spoiler, so you might want to skip ahead a few minutes, because Void Rivals is a quiet entrance and a quiet entryway into what is being called the Energon Universe, meaning, coming to Skybound, we have new titles that will be part of this Energon Universe, and they are all members of the Hasbro line, including Transformers, G.I. Joe, Cobra, and who knows what else. So we're getting Transformers number one by Daniel Warren Johnson, 
And uh, if you listened to the most recent book club episode with Stephen Orr, we talked about Daniel Warren Johnson, mostly about Murder Falcon. So now he is taking over Transformers. Apparently he's been working on this for a while. If you look at his various social media, uh, we just never knew that this was because it's for uh, a title, an actual title. It looks like it's even going to reflect the Generation 1 version of Transformers. I don't know too much about the different, you know, delineations, but we're going to get Transformers number one. We're also getting Duke number one, a limited series from Joshua Williamson and Tom Riley. And this is going to tell the origins of G.I. Joe and Cobra in a world grappling with the arrival of the Autobots and Decepticons. And that will be the first of four G.I. Joe limited series coming from Skybound, setting the stage for a fresh new take on G.I. Joe and Cobra. We are also getting Cobra Commander number one in January of 2024 from Joshua Williamson and Andrea Milana. In a world where Cobra doesn't exist, one man's sinister plans to utilize the mysterious alien substance known as Energon will send shockwaves across the globe. And that's not all. They are also going to put out G.I. Joe, a real American hero, starting with issue number 301 in November and bringing back writer Larry Hama to helm this series. Also artist Chris uh, Mooneyham and colorist Francesco Segala with covers by Andy Kubert. So they are not throwing away that continuity. They call it the longest-running non-superhero comic of all time. So Larry Hama will be uh, writing that title again, and you'll have all your characters, Duke, Scarlet, Roadblock, Storm Shadow, Cobra Commander, Serpentor, and more. Also, the return of the original Snake Eyes. I don't know what that means. Maybe he was dead in the IDW universe. Uh, I'm not sure, but Larry Hamill, yeah, still writing G.I. Joe. He's in his 70s, early 70s right now, and he's still writing G.I. Joe. I was never a G.I. Joe reader in the 80s. Uh, I was more of a Transformers reader. Um, did I watch the cartoon? Yeah, I think I watched the cartoon, but um, who knows? Maybe one day I will go back and read that series that uh, that I learned, that I, I never really knew, but that I learned was quite inspirational um, for many, many, many comic book readers. So really great that they are continuing with that legacy. And there is your comic book news for this week and last week. Send me some emails, peter at thedailyrios.com. Go visit the Daily Rios website and Instagram. Go follow me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios, for as long as it, it exists. <laughs> uh, review me on your favorite podcast catcher, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Send me your book club recommendations. I have the next one lined up that I will be recording in the next couple of months. Looking forward to that. This has been The Daily Rios, episode 622 for Saturday, June 17th, 2023. Talk to you soon. Working hard, Mulder. This woman claims to have been taken aboard a spaceship and held in an anti-gravity chamber without food and water for three days. Anti-gravity's right. <laughs>